is verse 1, chapter 41. It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored um, kind, fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind on the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and the lean-fleshed kind did eat up <clears throat> the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke. First dream. Um, they have a very short rainy season in Egypt. So they count on the Nile overflowing. They depend on the Nile overflowing every year in order to produce crops. So um, interesting, both of his dreams have to do with meat and food and water, you know, for life, for sustenance. But um, the cattle <clears throat> during a good year uh, graze far away from the river, in the meadows, in the leaves. But in the lean years where the overflow isn't very great, the cattle feed up on the brink, right on the edge of the river. So a lot of signs, aside from the fact that some cattle in the field were fat and the cattle up to the brink were thin, it's, you know, when you think about it like that, you can say, oh, I see that. You know, that there's going to be some fat cattle and some lean. Obviously, there's going to be some kind of a season when the rivers don't, you know, when the river doesn't overflow enough. Um, of course, God fills in the, the, the details seven years because there are seven cows and seven, uh, seven lean cows and seven fat cows. So each one represents a year. And then come the ears of corn, also fed by the overflow of the Nile. Um, start with verse... <clears throat> um, verse 5. And he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came upon one stalk, good and rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east winds sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them of his dream, but there was none that could interpret them to Pharaoh. And then spoke the chief butler to Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my, my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me inward in the captain of the guard's house with both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream one night, I and he, and we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, a servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man, according to his dream, he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us. And so it was. Me he restored to mine office, and him he hanged.
Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've dreamed a dream, and there's none that can interpret it. And I have heard say that you, that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And don't I just love Joseph's heart? Um, again, how in the world, in such an ungodly, unruly family, did he come out loving God the way he did? Verse 16, And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven kind, fat-fleshed and well-favored, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill-favored and lean-fleshed, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. And the lean and the ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind. And when they had eaten them up, it could not be known that they had eaten them. But they were still ill-favored as at the beginning. And so I awoke. And behold, seven ears withered, thin, and blasted with the east. I'm sorry, and I saw in my dream... And behold, seven ears came up in one stalk, full and good. And behold, seven ears withered, thin, and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And then the thin ears devoured the seven good ears. And I told this to my magicians. Um, <clears throat> uh, the Targum writers think they were necromancers using dried bones. But whatever. Um... There was none that could declare it to me. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. So in other words, both dreams tell the same message. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good years are seven years. And the dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. And this is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he shows unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. And it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out, a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to take up the fifth part of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, 
that the land perish not through the famine. <clears throat> and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Um, <clears throat> okay. Joseph is, um, you know, to be so young, 30 years old, so wise in himself. Um, and the wisdom is in trusting the Lord. It's, um, I've been doing a study with my um, jail guys about the wise men and the foolish men. And for God, it isn't about being a believer or not believer. Believers can be wise and foolish. Mm -hmm. And um, Joseph is the wisest of all. Because he just barely had a taste of the living God and just grabbed with all his heart. Where the rest of his brothers knew who God was. They had a father and a grandfather and a great-grandfather that knew um, the living God. And yet they had no relationship, you know, whatsoever. Um, which still amazes me. But um, the fact that this dream came twice is um, a truth that stands. Things written in the law um, are based on truths that existed outside of the law. So when God says when two or more witnesses, a thing is established, permanent, set up, unbendable. Um, here it is exercised. Joseph's two dreams of his brothers bowing down. Two dreams establish a thing that won't change. Here it is again, two dreams that establish a truth that will not change. And uh, it's still the same today. God doesn't change. He's the same every day. Um, <clears throat> so God's wisdom was right there in the mouth of Joseph. Not only did Joseph give him the answer, or did God give him the answer to his dream, but he gave him the answer to the solution and the solver of the problem. God was most generous to Pharaoh. Answer, because God didn't have to warn Pharaoh about the famine coming, but he did. He did it because of his promise about Israel, Israel coming into Egypt. But he blessed Pharaoh by telling him ahead of time. So he not only gave him the dream, warned him, but he brought Joseph to give him the answer to the dream, and then he also brought Joseph to be the solver of the problem. Everything was handed to Pharaoh on a silver platter by the hand of God, which I thought was totally cool. So now God's plans begin to fall in place. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of, um, you have to kind of go back to this Mendelbrot theory. We talked about this years ago. Um, Joseph Mendelbrot was a mathematician, and his, it's the theory of irregularity is what he calls it. I'm not really totally on board with the name of his own theory, but the deal is this. Mathematically speaking, everything in the universe has an unfolding. Everything. And um, so like a tree, every year the leaves unfold, and each leaf has its own freedom to unfold in any way it wants to. The tree never unfolds the same way twice. Every leaf is an independent agent on that tree. And yet when it unfolds, it's still a maple tree. It's still an oak tree. 
It's still a broccoli head. It's still a flower, you know, a specific flower. And um, so when you think about all of the, the history of men up to this point, and you've got Abraham, and then you've got Isaac and Ishmael, and then you've got Esau and Jacob, and each of those men had a choice to unfold in a certain way. God knew their hearts. He allowed them to unfold in the way they wanted, but because he knew their hearts, he was able to be, you know, in the future of it. And still, no matter how things unfold, Israel was going to come to Egypt. It was going to happen. And um, out of Egypt, out of the womb of the world, the nation of Israel was going to be birthed. So um, he used not only believers, but non-believers, you know, to get everything going this far. Look at Potiphar having bought Joseph, Potiphar being the chief of the guard. So again, Joseph ends up, you know, working under Potiphar and being raised up so he can minister to these two men. He ends up being presented to Pharaoh. Um, <clears throat> all things play out regardless of how, how any one individual person decides to unfold, you know. So everybody can have freedom to choose, um, but it's still all going to work out like it does. Um, we were talking this morning about Edom, you know, and Esau. And um, I said, one-on-one, -on -one, any person from Edom's descendancy can come to the living God, you know, and that unfolding will make them a part of the bride. But in the end, Edom is going to be dust. God's going to see to it that that nation is completely wiped off the face of the earth. People that reject Jesus, you know. But one-on-one, -on -one, anybody can unfold in any way they want, but as a whole, God still has the plan in place. So, <clears throat> as a whole, God still has his whole plan in place. And he has Joseph in just the right places. Hey, come join us. No, we're glad to see you. Fresh out of nonsense. <laughs> That's okay. Was it wonderful? It was wonderful. I loved it the last time they did it. It was great. It was just, they said they had the old cast back together. It was just oh, Broadway worthy. Oh. <laughs> We have so much talent in this community. It staggers your mind, doesn't it? How much? How much? Yes, it is. I kept looking at them. I said, why are they here? Yeah. <laughs> really, we have so much talent. It saddens your mind as much talent that we have in this area that not more of it's put to use. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. I'm so thankful for our players that they haven't given up. They've had some tough years, but but they never folded. They never let it go. They just kept fighting through, and um, so thankful for that. Um, Moving away from the sun, oh. oh, that's okay. <laughs> we just had that discussion, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, talk about your mental broth theory. What I gathered out of it when you taught this before, it's, I don't, I agree with you, I don't understand the, the title of irregularity. It's more like the theory of our free will and options all within the parameter of God's sovereignty. Yeah. And that, that, mm -hmm. that's, 
I think that's the easiest way for me to understand. Mm. Yeah. That, and then when you get into the predestination discussions and all, this all comes into that. It does. And, and um, God just knows the hearts of men. So like, you know, even like when Pharaoh, when Egypt, when uh, Israel is about to come out, God tells um, Moses, he says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. It doesn't mean he's deliberately going to do it, but he knew Pharaoh, and he knew his attitudes, and he knew, you know, how he was, and he just said, by the time you go and tell him God said to let these people go, his arrogance is going to make him so stubborn um, that he's not going to let them go. God didn't make him stubborn. But what God did caused the stubbornness in him to come out. So God, even though Pharaoh could choose, Pharaoh had the choice every single time. And he chose badly every time. All he had to do was let the people go, and God would have blessed his socks off. But every time he said, let the people go, God said, then the Pharaoh who believed he was a God stiffened his back, which God knew he would do. That's a omniscience. That's right. My class talked about this whole topic. Somehow it popped up a couple of weeks ago. And this whole thing and omniscience and mm. people to wrap their minds all around the free will, the options, God's right. sovereignty, his omniscience and all that and to put it all together. Right. That you can try to understand how yeah. things work. It's true. And it's hard to justify God's sovereignty when we all have freedom to choose. You know, how is it that he can be sovereign and yet every living human being has their own yeah. free will? Yeah. But um, I think we all struggle with this at some point. Yeah. Hit certain scriptures and then, then it brings out these questions. Yeah. And that Mendelbrot theory comes the closest to explaining um, how that works, you know. God knows our hearts. He knows how we're going to unfold. If I unfold to the left and God needed me to go to the right, he'll find somebody to go to the right, yeah. you know. So I can go either way, but I had the opportunity and I lost it. Somebody else had the opportunity and took it. And um, no matter how we unfold, it's still going to come out. Revelations is going to be exactly like he says it is. That's a good way to make yeah. an example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no matter what happens, and every man and woman between Genesis and um, all the way up to the end of the book had a choice. It was always their choice, and they acted based on their choices. You know, and then it just shows how God acted based on the choices they made. And yet still, no matter what, it's all going to come out exactly the way God wanted because that's what he ordered it to be. And um, so it's just kind of remarkable that, you know, Joseph, this young boy is just moved around. God moves him everywhere. And he's a willing tool. He is the one agent who is unfolding according to the way God wants him to. And the faith blessing comes. Yeah. He put his faith into action. Exactly right. And um, actually, God could trust Joseph's brothers to be exactly what they were to. Mm -hmm. And he knew that they were going to do exactly what they did. So, I mean, you know, in a certain way, he could trust our unfaithfulness <laughs> and Pharaoh's unfaithfulness, you know, um, so that things come out just like he wanted.
It, it just always blows my mind. But it's nice to know he's in control. Even if we mess up, go to the right or the left, the unfolding of our lives is still going to unfold, you know. And as long as we're trusting God, looking at God, it's going to be okay. It will all be okay. Which is kind of a comfort, but you have no idea where he's taking us. So um, the next thing ha that happens is, all of a sudden, Joseph who's just interpreted these dreams, suddenly is raised up to be second in command of all of Egypt. Um, I think about things like, too, David, having been through all those 14 years of hardship, running from Saul all those years, um, made him the king that he was. The hardship, the struggles, the, you know, and trusting God in every step of the way, made him the king that he turned out to be. Even though he made missteps, he was still a man after God's own heart. Joseph, again, was a man after God's own heart. He made his own missteps, too, but he was still a man after God's own heart. And here he is at 30, raised up. But having been in Egypt for 13 years, he um, had acquired the language, the understanding of the customs. He... Um, he had, he had preparation that was in the fire, but he was ready. You know, there's not a hardship that he could face now that he was going to shiver at because God had taken him through the absolute worst, you know. So, um, start with verse 38. Chapter 41, yeah. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, For as much as God has showed you all this, um, <clears throat> there is none so discreet and wise as you are. You will be over my house. According to your word shall all my people be ruled. <clears throat> Only in the throne will I be greater than you? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestitures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried before him and bowed the knee and he made him ruler over the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without you shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephnath Paneah. And he gave him to wife Asenoth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Um, look at, go over to chapter 45 for a minute. Eventually, Joseph uh, pronounces the, all the titles that he's given so let's just look at what they are right now. 
Look at verse 8. <clears throat> and so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he has made me, one, a father to Pharaoh, two, the Lord of all his house, and three, a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So this is going to exactly describe his standing in, in rulership. Um, the father to Pharaoh is pretty cool. It's, it's a word, um, ob, which, you know, it's, it's the first alphabet, you know, like the house of God, ob. But it literally means the principal one, the main one, the strong head, like Abba, the strong head. And um, so um, to blow that out, um, Aben Ezra and Jacob, this, I mean, Jarky, this is what they say. He was the counselor to advise Pharaoh, and he advised him well in all things as a father would counsel his children. He was a partner and a patron and shared with him in power and authority. <clears throat> so it is a picture of a father to a son, which is kind of interesting. I don't know how old Pharaoh was, but it just seems funny to me that Joseph has, you know, the wisdom of age. It's like one of those people, when you look at children, sometimes they're 10 going on 30. You know, I kind of have that feeling maybe about Joseph. Because he was raised by God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then he was Lord of his house. The word there is Adon, which means controller or master. Um, our word would be prime minister. Um, or steward of all that Pharaoh had. So he was the one with the key um, that opened and the key that shut. You can see so many pictures of Jesus here. Um, you know, Jesus says, I have the keys to open and no man shuts and to shut that no man can open. And um, that's exactly what um, was given to him. He could open the doors for an audience with Pharaoh or close the doors for an audience with Pharaoh. He could open the doors to the treasury of Pharaoh or he could close the doors to the treasury of Pharaoh. He had complete control over everything in the house. And then the last one was ruler throughout the land. And that word is marshal, which actually sounds like marshal or governor, which is what he was. In the whole land, he would have been like the governor. The one that could make the laws, establish the rules, tell people what they could and couldn't do. So he had a very high position, and um, he did a lot under Pharaoh. So it looked like Pharaoh just sat back and looked good, because Joseph actually did um, raise Sosthenes up. He, um, Egypt at the time of this vision was doing okay, but they weren't, you know, in fabulously good shape. Some of the cities were... Um, you know, coming down around their ears. And um, because of Joseph and the way he ran things, um, by the end of the famine, Joseph had seen to it that Sosthenes III was one of the richest, most powerful pharaohs in the history of Egypt, um, even through the famine, because Joseph had all the corn. So Sosthenes ended up with all the land that was given in trade for corn, all the money from all the countries around. Um, and so rather than losing, Sosthenes and the Egyptians gained because of Joseph's rule. 
And um, so that's pretty cool. So here you have Joseph at 30 standing before Pharaoh. And he went into all the land of Egypt, which is a type of the world. Jesus at 30 stood before God at his baptism and then went into all the world, both to save it, you know, which is pretty cool. Um, so look at verse um, 47 to 52 now. And this is a picture of what Joseph was doing. Joseph built the most unique um, silos. Um, the pictures of them are fascinating, but a lot, a great deal of the silo was way below the ground. And um, uh, a small amount would be above the ground, but they were huge. And then um, there was earth mounded up all around the silos, and there, was, there were stairways on each side of the mounded earth that would go up to the top of the silo. So people could come and carry their grain up the stairs, dump the grain down into the silos, and um, then go down the next set of steps. So for seven years, you had the going up one set, dumping the corn, going down the other side. And the lines would just proceed at each of these locations until these silos were full. And then he'd dig another silo, build another silo. But I thought, what a smart you know, way to do it. Um, I look at these big old silos now and I think, how do you get the grain in there? Mm -hmm. I can see how you get it out. But you go, how do you get the grain all the way up? Joseph, I wonder how he gets it out. I can see how he gets it out. Yeah. How do you get it out? I imagine they lower buckets and, uh, you know, and um, they could even lower people if they're big enough. Yeah. They could even lower people down there if it's big enough. I imagine it was. And there's, what they have today is grain elevator? Yes. Yeah. To dump it in. Yep. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, it's just fascinating when you, when you think about even the, the, uh, the architecture and the designs and everything back then. And yet, Joseph had come up with all of these master plans for these silos that would keep the corn. And um, so, yeah, I love that. So, in the next years that follow, um, Joseph is amassing immeasurable uh, food. And um, he and his wife have two sons. Um, Manasseh and Ephraim, which actually become two of the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph, who is one, never leaves Egypt. He dies in Egypt. And the other is, um, um, so then that falls to Manasseh. And Ephraim takes Levi's place because Levi never owns a piece of the land. Levi is the priesthood. So, um, Manasseh and Ephraim become two of the 12 tribes um, that take possession of the land in Canaan. Okay, let's just keep reading here. Verse 47. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was around about every city, and he laid it up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asthenath, the daughter of Potipharah, prince of On, barren to him. 
And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, he said, has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph to buy corn. Because the famine was so sore in all the lands. So Joseph, who was so prepared, is just raking in the money. And giving out the food. And the famine hits Jacob and his family. And um, it's funny to me, Jacob's attitude here and their son's attitude. It's like he's speaking to a bunch of lazy guys. And I don't believe that Jacob's sons were lazy. Um, they might have been like the Keystone Cops, you know. But, I, I mean, you know, they were shepherds. They did raise the sheep. They did those things. So I don't believe they were lazy, but... You know, Jacob's going, what are you sitting around here for? We're all starving to death. Get up and go to Egypt. It, it's just a funny way that he has to speak to them. Look at verse 1 and 42 here. Now, when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why are you looking at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down there and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. So it's like they're looking at each other like, what, what should we do? It's like nobody wanted to take charge. No. Exactly. Yeah. They've been so fast to take the bull by the horns in the bass, and all of a sudden they couldn't even find their way out of the rain. To give them a little credit, they were shepherds, and they didn't grow grain. And True. And it was a fast. They couldn't, they couldn't <laughs> feed their sheep. So they're wondering what to do. Now, the father is the one who heard that there was grain. Oh, my. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief should befall him. I don't think he trusted those men at all with his baby boy. <laughs> and the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. John Darby says it this way, Joseph's brothers who had rejected him are brought by the path of repentance and humiliation to own him at length in glory whom they had once rejected. So it says Jacob sent his ten sons to Egypt to buy corn, but I want to show you what it says. Um, let me see. Look at verse 3. doesn't say Jacob's sons, does it? It says, And Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy corn in Egypt. Okay, whenever I read this before, someone else talked about this. 
that harm might come to him, and it was insinuated that the harm would come from people in Egypt. I don't remember it ever being brought up that the harm could come from the other brothers and that perhaps the father suspected them of harming Joseph. Oh, I don't think that he did, but I think that but, because when he sent the last but, brother with them, he fell yeah. into bad ways, so he died. Had not that, he my didn't mind trust them. That the brothers might have been the source of the harm. Yeah, no, I think it was just that he just didn't trust them to take care of him. going on, a thievery, yeah. everything that could have been happening. Yeah. In, I think he just didn't trust them to be able to take care of him. You know, yes, yes, you know, Lord knows they couldn't protect Joseph, so he didn't think that they could do much for Benjamin. But isn't it interesting that instead of saying, and Jacob's ten sons went in, the next thing you see is Joseph's ten brothers. So here's the picture. The brothers... Only the brothers that sold him into slavery are the ones that went down. Benjamin wasn't with them. It is only the brothers that sold him into slavery that end up going down into Egypt and will end up bowing themselves before Joseph. Uh-huh. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The ten who sold him into slavery are the ones that showed up in Egypt. Um, um, and then it refers to them as sons of Israel. Um, in uh, 42, 5, we'll see it here in a minute. Um, <clears throat> look at verse 5. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Verse 3 refers to the brothers that delivered him into slavery. But verse 5 refers to the seed of Israel going down to the place where it's soon to be planted. Not Jacob, the man, you know, with feet of clay, but rather the prophetic um, of these men, uh, the seeds of, of Israel going down into Egypt. So Jacob is kind of removed from that whole scene. Can I read something from... Absolutely. This is like from the Midrash. <clears throat> yeah. Joseph's brothers, ten of them, in order to prevent speculators from purchasing large amounts of grain and profiteering, as is common in times of famine and shortage, Joseph had decreed that no one could buy more food than was needed for a single household. This is why all ten brothers had to go. According to the Midrash, Joseph's real reason for the decree was to assure that all his brothers would be forced to come to him, thus fulfilling the prophecy of his dreams that they would all bow to him. So there's prophecy and then also the practicality <coughs> of the of ten the going. Yeah. And isn't it so interesting? So you said all ten, not, not just ten a couple, household. because right. you had to prove that you had this many in the household, in the household. to get yep. that much grain. Isn't that interesting? Uh -huh. And and the very fact that it's exactly the brothers that sold him into slavery on top of it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, very cool. And God knows, even in the unfolding, it all works out, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It all works out. Well, that puts things in perspective, too. Yeah. It does. When you know, you know, from the ancient writings. Right. Exactly right. Um... 
So here we are. Joseph is governor, which again, you know, that's the uh, Marshal, the, the ruler over the land, making all the rules. So this is his role now. He's the lawgiver. Um, look at verse 6. Joseph was the governor or the lawgiver over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And that is literally lying prostrate on the ground with their bellies in the dirt, faces down in the dirt, which exactly fulfills the dream that he saw. And interesting that it was sheaves, I mean, you know, it was bread that bowed down, the sheaves bowed down to him in his dream. <clears throat> and Joseph saw his brothers, and he knew them. But he made himself sound strange unto them, and spoke roughly to them, and he said to them, From whence did you come? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brothers, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. And he said to them, Your spies, to see the nakedness of the land you were come. Now this was the issue that Egypt was having at the time, historically. <clears throat> there were a lot of nations around about them who um, saw that Egypt had food. And if you remember when we read, he would build up in the cities, these big silos in each city scattered out all over the land of Egypt. These, each city, each area had their own storehouse, you know, and then, you know, um, they would just come to the different storehouses and get the food. And um, so the fear was that um, these surrounding nations would look for the weaknesses the holes in Egypt's defense and get in and capture a city, capture a silo, you know, take the food. And um, so it was, it was well known that Egypt was struggling with that. So it, was, uh, it wasn't far-fetched that Joseph could say to them, you're spies. You've come from another land and you want, you're trying to find our weaknesses so that you can take over our food supplies in these cities. So it wasn't a far-fetched deal that um, he could accuse them of being spies. <clears throat> well, in their attempt to save themselves, they get diarrhea of the mouth and they tell Joseph everything, which finally Jacob says, why on earth did you tell him everything? You didn't have to say everything. But in the anguish of their souls, the guilt was so tremendous Everything just started falling out of their mouths trying to defend themselves. So, um, start with verse 12. <clears throat> and he said to them, no. Let's see. No, we are all, uh, verse 11. No, we are all one man's sons. We're true men. Your servants are no spies. And he said to them, no. But to see the nakedness of the land you're come. And they said, your servants are twelve brothers, uh, mm -hmm. and the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not, meaning one is dead. Mm -hmm. And Joseph said to them, That's it that I spake unto you, saying, You are spies. 
Hereby you shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother comes hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you're spies. So now he's trying to get his baby brother down there. And he says, I'm going to keep all ten of you. One of you can go home and get... Hey, are you exhausted? Uh-huh. <laughs> was it wonderful? Was it nice? It was. It was. It was. How's everybody? Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough, tough time for them. But it was a beautiful service. Was it? Well, Jim Miller. <laughs> he does great. He does, and it's such a wonderful family. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you. I just one thing I need to sit down. <laughs> on my I'm glad you came. <clears throat> yeah. We haven't gotten too far. His brothers have come to Egypt for some food, and Joseph's accusing them of being spies. Oh, okay. The first time they come. Yeah, forty-two, chapter forty-two. We're not far. So we're in verse 16. Send one of you and let him fetch your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you were spies. They all deserved to go to prison, didn't they? Experience a little of what Joseph did. Let me ask a question here. Yeah. They said that uh, Joseph said to his brothers, send one of you and let him fetch your brother. Now, they, he was going back to look for Joseph? He was going back to look for Benjamin, Benjamin. baby Benjamin. Benjamin. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. for Benjamin. Okay. Right. So Joseph wanted to see him. Boy, is Joseph masterful in dealing with those rebellious brothers. You know, and getting them to bring Benjamin. Mm -hmm. And the guilt in their heart just pours out. Um, I wonder how often in their minds now they start to see the anguish on Joseph's face. You know, and what they did to him, throwing him into the pit when they did it. Um, you wonder, I would love to, to be like a little mouse in a wheel in their brains to see what they were actually thinking, you know, what they remembered about it. But um, let's just keep reading here. Verse 17, and he put them all together into ward for three days. He put them all in prison for three days. And Joseph said to them the third day, this do and live, for I fear God. Interesting, he mentioned Yahweh, they should know. If you be true men, let one of your brothers be bound in the house of your prison. And you go, carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother to me. So shall your words be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, We are very guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear Therefore is this distress come upon us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Reuben answered them saying, 
Spoke I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child? Mm -hmm. So Reuben's already saying, Well, it wasn't me. It wasn't my idea. Mm -hmm. But Reuben did go along. He did stand around when they decided to put the blood on the coat. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he didn't absolutely stop it. That's right. And you wouldn't hear. Therefore, behold, all his blood is also, his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them because he spoke to them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them and wept and turned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. And then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus he did unto them. And they laid their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender, in the end he spied his money, for behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said to his brother, My money's restored, and lo, it's even in my sack. And their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God has done to us? This man, who is the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And he said unto him, We are true men, we are no spies. We be twelve brothers, son of our father. One is not, and the youngest is a day, um, is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, Hereby shall I know that you are true men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, take food for the famine of your household, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me, then I'll know that you are no spies but that you are true men. And so I will deliver you your brother and you shall traffic in the land, meaning do business in the land. But it came to pass as they emptied their sacks that behold, every man's bundle. Hey, Lee's just resting. Did you want to come rest with us for a minute? <laughs> 15 minutes. It's okay. Thirty-five, And it came to pass that as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, Me, have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. Now that's important. Joseph is dead, and now he says Simeon is dead. He has made up his mind that he's not going back there if he can help it. So as far as he's concerned, Simeon is dead too. He intended to leave Simeon right there in that prison, just let him sit. Mm -hmm. So as far as Jacob was concerned, Simeon was dead too. And you would take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. So... Joseph is so gracious, and this is funny to me, too, because Joseph was gracious. He gave them ample corn and then hid their money in their grain bags. Mm -hmm. And yet, instead of being a blessing to them, which it should have been, their guilt, you know, as, yeah. um, the proverb is this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Mm -hmm. So when they think of themselves as guilty, they think this guy marked them as guilty too, that this was a curse on them and not a blessing. 
So the fear of it came on them instead of the blessing of it. They couldn't enjoy the blessing for the fear from the guilt as a source. Um, so Simeon is in prison <clears throat> on false charges. Um, the brothers are charged as well, but they have a job to do. They have to go back and get Benjamin, which they know is going to kill um, Jacob if they try to take Benjamin. You know, they're afraid to take him from his father after everything they've done. So his brothers are suffering great anguish of the soul. They're fearful of facing their father because they have to tell him they have to take Benjamin back to Egypt. And the dread of returning to Egypt and being imprisoned as thieves because all of them have their money has destroyed any bit of blessing that Joseph could have tried to give them. John Gill says this, their minds were so pressed with the guilt of their sin, that they were possessed of nothing but fears and dread, apprehension of things, and they put the worst construction on everything that they could. They couldn't see the return money as a kindness from Joseph. Men in such circumstances experience fear where no fear is, nor occasion of it. They felt the weight of God's judgment but they never once asked for mercy. That's the thing that grabbed me. They, they felt the weight of the judgment. They were heart sick. But not once did they ever cry out to the living God. Look at um, Romans 11. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, you know? Um, and Paul in this chapter he's talking about the goodness of God but the severity of judgment you know God doesn't mess around either and the weight of that conviction um, is God's dealing with them you know um, but this is what um, Paul has to say about it verse 26 so all Israel shall be saved as it is written there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Um, to, as far as I can tell, this is one of the first places in the New Testament that they talk about the ungodliness of Jacob. Mostly, you know, people think of Jacob as, oh, the godly man, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Jacob was not really a godly man. But God intends to turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant to them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So for Abraham and Isaac, they were loved. For their own sake, mm, you know, it's all the grace and the mercy of God. And that's the whole picture here. Grace and mercy showed up right there. And yet, um, they were so fearful they couldn't even see it or reject right. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. For as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy 
through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they shall also obtain mercy. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So God, even, you know, like I said, even in our unfaithfulness, he's faithful. And where he wants to, Joseph was showing that grace and mercy that comes from Jesus, that forgiveness for being sold out. Here's the picture of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. And Joseph is really, although he's putting them, putting the pressure on them, um, he also knows the plan that he has for them. You know, a plan for good and not for evil. He wants to bring Joseph and Benjamin and everybody down so that he can take care of them. But he doesn't want to leave his brothers without a taste, you know, of what they did. Right. Which... You know, in Hebrews um, um, 12, he says, you know, don't despise the chastening of the Father. He's going to chew on you and gnaw on you. He's not going to destroy you or make you sick or put the curse on you. But, But the Holy Spirit will chew and gnaw on you till you can't stand it. Not because he wants to hurt you, but because he wants change. And diamonds are only made with heat and pressure. So heat and pressure is what Joseph was bringing to these lumps of coal, hoping that he could change, you know, bring change. So here's another heartache for Jacob. He's informed about the loss of Simeon, and now he says, well, as far as I'm concerned, he's dead too. You've killed them both. I trust you with my my sons, and every time I trust you with one of them, they don't fare well, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, right. So now all he could see was the loss of Simeon. And um, unlike Abraham, and this is the difference in Jacob and Abraham, Abraham, who only had one son, and God says put him on the altar, Abraham had already received him dead, you know, back from the dead before he ever laid him on the altar. You know, Abraham had so much faith in God that his idea was, no, if God has promised this, then it's going to happen for me. So I'll put my son on the altar because God's going to have to bring him back to life. Jacob had no such faith in God. He couldn't say, wait a minute. He's not going to take all my sons because out of me is going to come a nation. It was promised to Abraham. It was promised to Isaac. And Jacob had more promises than anybody. God just about beat him over the head with it. And um, Jacob still could not grasp it. Jacob, who had had encounter after encounter with the living God, who promised protection and deliverance when Jacob was in obedience with his vow, never once called on God for that deliverance. Neither the brothers nor Jacob called on God for that deliverance. Go to Romans 4.
Abraham's faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, start with verse 11. This is a picture of Abraham's faith. And look at this, just, you know, grandson, Abraham's grandson. It didn't even get that far from Abraham before it was completely lost. Jacob should have been able to say, no, my descendants are going to be a great nation. You know, God's not going to take all of them. Lord God, I need your mercy and your grace. But none of them called on the name of God. None of them. And yet here's Joseph who says to them, I believe in God. Yahweh, I believe in God. Mm -hmm. Amazing difference, isn't it? All right, look at verse 11. We'll go through 11 through 25. Uh, Romans 4, yeah. This is um, Abraham, granddad. And he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all of them that believe, though they be not circumcised the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Jacob had been through the whole rigmarole, circumcised in everything, mm -hmm. and didn't have the faith. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham, or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's because the Ten Commandments and that old covenant had not been given. It. They're all living under the same covenant we live under, the covenant of grace. You know, so they're all under the same covenant. Everything is accessed by faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of no effect. Why? Because under the law... The faith is in what you do. You need to follow all the rules. You need to make all the sacrifices. You need to do all the washings. And then the faith is in what you do, not in what God did. So the law isn't about faith in God. It's about trusting in what you do to make yourself good enough. The law was never meant to be fulfilled. It was just meant to show people that they could never do it, you know. So it, the law was never a faith. So outside of the law, where grace is, that's where faith is. Because you have to have faith in God in order to draw on that grace. That's what moves God, is faith. Okay, because the, the law works wrath. For where the law is, there is <clears throat> there's no transgression. I'm sorry. For where no law is, there's no transgression. So... They can't be guilty of breaking the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments hadn't been given yet. Okay. They can't be guilty of breaking any of the law because the law hadn't been given yet. So they lived under grace. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, <clears throat> but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made, past tense, you the father of many nations. Um, before him, it should be like God, in the way of God. Um, like God, him who he believed, even God, 
who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. That's the way we should act. We call those things that be not as though they were. Okay. Um, you and I are less than perfect by far. Okay. But we call those things that be not as though they were. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, that's right. That's what we do. That's what faith does. Faith calls those things that seem to be not in this world as though they are. And that's what Abraham did. Okay. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but Jacob did. But was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now this was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. If we believe in Yahweh, the God that raised Jesus from the dead, who delivered, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. So, the law, this chunk of time with the old covenant in it, didn't apply to Abraham, to Isaac, or Jacob. None of them, because the Ten Commandments had not been given. The law had not been given yet. And so, they lived under the covenant of grace, just like we do. God gave the promises, and God says, do what I say, and and the blessings belong to you. And um, Jacob couldn't, didn't have enough faith to do what he said. Jacob trusted himself all the time. And door after door after door to tragedy was thrown open because of it. You know, he didn't have to have all those tragedies. It's interesting to me what Jesus calls the last three and a half years of, um, uh, of revelations. You know what he calls that? Jacob's trouble. <laughs> yeah, because the people that are left never learned, never figured it out. Mm -hmm. You know, but um, yeah, so here are more parallels. Let me just, just kind of run through this with you. Jacob is a man, <clears throat> has been a wanderer and oppressed. His life has been marked by struggle after struggle and sadness and heartbreak. The covenant promises Abraham belong to Jacob but he was blinded to the truth by the world's lures and his own pride. By not entering into a personal relationship with God and not teaching his sons about the richness in the covenant with God, the door was open to tragedy for them all. Um, I just put this note. To me, he was utterly bankrupt in faith. Mm -hmm. Jacob never cried out to God for mercy. Mm -hmm. Never did. As for the nation of Israel, their story has been the same. They're still waiting for deliverance and mercy and blessing through Messiah who has already come. Their waywardness and blindness to their true covenant in Abraham has led them to the world's ways and opened the doors to tragedies uncountable. 
You know, that's just the way the Lord was speaking to me that morning when I was writing this down. When they cry out to God, he moves. But they don't cry out until the heat's up. Um, it's just the way it is. But the grace and mercy have always been there because of the faithfulness of Abraham. It's never gone anywhere. That covenant stands. And that's where you and I, that's where we live, is in the covenant of Abraham. And we access it by faith. That's the way you do it. So when Jacob and his sons finally encountered Joseph who is a type of Christ, face to face and put their full trust in him to deliver and protect them. They are all of a sudden covered. But they have to come to the place where they recognize him. And when they see him and they mourn for what they did to him, just like in Ezekiel when it says, and, and the children of Israel will see him coming in the clouds and mourn when they see his piercings for what they did to him. They'll be crying everywhere. Um, that's what happened here when Jacob's brothers eventually see what they did to him, you know. Um, then, and they realize who he is and they believe in him, then immediately they're covered. He scoops them up and loves them and puts them in Goshen, regardless of how bad they had treated him. Even though they're in Egypt, a type of the world, they are separated, protected, blessed, and made whole. And the family is complete. Yeah. They thrived and multiplied in a, into a great nation, <clears throat> just like God promised Abraham would come. And likewise, when Israel recognizes Messiah and trusts him, he delivers them and sets up his kingdom in Israel, and the nation thrives for a thousand years. The parallels are so strong there. So why does it take the crucible of fire every time to bring them to the God of covenant? Not the covenant of God, but the God of covenant. You know, that's my question. Why does it take the crucible of fire to bring them to that point every single time? You know, they never just get it. So um, let's just go back and finish this up and then we'll fold up for the night. 42, I think we just have a couple pages, I mean a couple verses left. Reuben is trying to intervene again here. Let's see. Verse 37. And Reuben spoke to his father saying, Slay my two sons. Kill my two sons. If I bring him not to you, deliver him into my hand and I will bring him to you again. And he said, My soul shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which you go, then shall you bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. So as far as Jacob is concerned, he's going to try to outlast the famine and never go back to Egypt. He's just going to consider Simeon dead, Joseph's already dead to him, and he has no intention of trying to deliver Simeon. That's the end of it. Yeah. No, Simeon. Yeah. Yeah, he was sacrificing Simeon for Right, right. Simeon is in, in a prison in, in uh, Egypt. Mm -hmm. 
And, and um, Joseph came from Jerusalem, <coughs> so they were his favorites. Yeah. So he was not going to trade Benjamin for Simeon. Yeah, right. Right. So, yeah. So, no, so he says, no, I'm not going to do that. As far as I'm concerned, Joseph is dead and Simeon is dead. And he just left it at that. And again, not once, not once did any of them get on their knees and seek the living God. But not a one. So, you know, I know it. I know it. Mercy, mercy. <clears throat> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Sit. We'll pick it up here next week. Next, is that the weekend before the 4th? <clears throat> is everybody going to be around? Was it the 3rd? It's the 2nd. 2nd, everybody be around that weekend? Okay. All right. That's good. <laughs>